0: Hey friends, welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So this episode is premiering in December and honestly gardening may be the very last thing on your mind right now. I know if you're like me and live in a climate similar to mine, I put the garden to bed and I'm pretty much checked out for a while at least. But I wanted to invite you back into your garden, at least mentally, for just a little while today. So we can talk about seed starting because believe it or not, actually, or maybe you do believe it, it's going to be here before you know it. And actually now is the time when a lot of seed companies are going to be sending catalogs, you're going to start needing to make plans. I know I love to plan all my gardens out by the wood stove on a cold winter night. And so I want to help you get ready for that, even though a lot of us are moving more towards the holiday holiday frame of mind. So in the past, I've talked on the podcast here about the benefits of starting your own seeds. It's one of the most cost-saving things you can do on the homestead, especially when you consider that plants like tomato starts or pepper starts, they're you know sometimes four to five bucks a piece. And if you want to grow any quantity of those, it adds up really fast. So starting your own seeds can save you a ton of money. The only problem is, is that there's a lot of variables involved. And I find that when I talk to people, a lot of them run into issues with starting seeds at home. So today I am so thrilled to have a seed starting expert with us. Sean McLaughlin is one of the founders of allaboutgardening.com. He and his family live in Texas and have a massive garden and food forest on their small property. I can't wait to talk more about that. And his company, All About Gardening, got my attention last year. When I was looking for more durable, more sustainable seed trays, and then I stumbled into what he and his wife offer and learned a lot in the process. So he is going to join us today, share all of his wisdom. Welcome, Sean. I can't wait for this conversation.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. uh, My wife and I have been uh, watching you for a long time, and you know, we've we've met each other at uh, some of the Homesteaders of America events. So I was ex- ex- excited to be here and then talk yes. about seed starting. I could talk about seed yes. starting all day long. And you're totally right. This is this is the time of year when we're, we're absolutely getting ready uh, for seed starting in our zone. We're down in South Central Texas. And so for us, we're probably going to start seeding in the next oh, wow. two to three weeks. Uh, Blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, because if anything needs to be... Yeah, well, it's because our zone nine a last frost date sometimes May or sorry, sometimes February, and so if we're if if we don't get that late freeze, a lot of times we're going to try to cheat the system and put stuff in the ground like February first, and then if something if something if we do get caught with a the freeze, then we've got backup seedlings. But so we always try to get a super early start. But we've already purchased all of our seeds, and we can't wait for spring. This is it. This is this is a gardening dead yeah. zone right now that we can't wait to get out there. So for us, we're actually still harvesting for fall from fall. Okay. So right now we're we're in harvest mode. Yeah, we're taking green beans off. That's a really fast farm, turnaround, so sure though.
0: Like, like so. where you're still harvesting and um, then you're getting ready to plant again in February.
1: So yeah, for for your zone, you know, you're you're you've got a dead time when you're not growing. Our dead time okay. is really the peak of summer when it's just too hot to grow things. And then the very peak of winter and in, in our South Central Texas climate, we really only have about two months out of the year where we can't have something in the ground or that things really, really struggle yeah. in the ground. Be it it just, cold to
0: yeah. That. Yeah, yeah so fascinates right. it fascinates me. And I'm so glad we're recording this now. Because, well, we were talking when we were together at Homesteaders of America in October. And I was like, come on the podcast. And I'm like, maybe, maybe I'll have you on in March to talk about seed starting. And you're like, I think, <laughs> I think that's not gonna work. And I and then I'm like, Oh, yeah, not everyone lives in the Arctic. Like I do. So I just always forget. So I'm glad we're doing yeah. it now. I think it's super timely. Yeah, so I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're in, if you're in South yeah. Florida, you never stop growing and where, where we are, it's, it's really a, a dual season garden for sure. And then as you get up farther North, so there's just, and we're, you mentioned us uh, all about the garden. It's all about the garden.com. You mentioned that. And, and we see a swath of everyone. And so sometimes when we're providing guidance there, they think we're crazy because we're yeah. like, we're out here to plant our plants here. You know, they're huddled up for winter, but so yeah, it's, it's, It's a, it's a wide swath of women to be talking to. So
0: start us off, give us a little background on your homestead gardens. I'm intrigued. I I know you said when you were, we were talking back and forth via email, you have a third of an acre garden plot. So you basically have an acre homestead and a third of its garden. Tell us, that's like, that's impressive. Tell me more.
1: Yeah. So I'm a dad, a husband. We have four kiddos and we live in, like I said, South Central Texas. And I, I started gardening like the first time when I was a little kid with my grandpa. I have super fun memories. So I kind of was just becoming a grandfather gardener just early in life. And so we started really hobby garden, gardening when we still lived in the suburbs and doing as much as we could and did a water collection system. That's about 10 years ago. And so over the course of that 10-year period, just being a, a, a hobbyist gardener became you know, it's it's a hobby run absolutely amok. Where you know we've gone from the garden hobbyist to a really a studied pac- practitioner of some well developed garden methods. Those you know, a lot of what we do revolves around. You know, back to Eden, if you want to go way back to some of those methods, and and uh, square foot gardening, and most recently things like no till gardening, no dig gardening. Charles Dowding is a big influence of ours, and then now we're I'm, I'm really interested in. Know, regenerative agriculture and soil biology it's just all about soil biology which is really the basis behind the the no-dig gardening and that just has grown over the years we purposely moved out from the suburb to do kind of what we considered like a half homestead and so we live in a, a small town we don't live out in the middle of the country we live in a small town and and we have about an acre and this old house that's built in 1865. But we just saw this giant yard, giant compared to what we had in the suburbs. And we said, this is, that's the spot we're going to be able to start our garden. And we just grew it little by little over, over the years. We've been here seven years now. And so the first garden went in, I, I think I basically took a bunch of ivy off the side of the house and then we put in a garden and, and it wasn't, it's, it was the first of many. And every year it just kind of gets, gets quite a bit bigger. We probably have a a third of an acre under cultivation between the, We have a raised bed garden system. We've just started a new victory garden. And then we have Mm. a food forest and we have about uh, 60 varieties of fruit bearing plants in the food forest. And then, you know, at any given time in the, in the garden, you know, the, the proper vegetable garden, we probably have about 30 to a hundred varieties. Depending on. so impressive.
0: That's so impressive. And I'm right yeah. with you on the soil biology. Uh, anyone who's listened to this podcast this year, know I've turned into complete nerd over that. So I can't stop talking about it. Everyone's like, what are you excited about right now? I'm like, soil microbes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's
1: the dorkiest <laughs> yeah, level. The dorkiest <laughs> level of, of gardening. I, I'm like this far away yeah. from, from buying a microscope so I can look at my own soil micros. You know, that's how you yes. know it's you've come full circle. But it, it, kind of what, what drove it for us is Jen, my wife's name is Jen. She runs uh, All About the Garden. Uh, we just became really passionate about growing our own food. We just saw a lot of weird stuff and without getting too political we just wanted to have control it's not less you know it's less so about being self-sufficient because we're not we're not on solar power we don't have a a well right and so we're still dependent on a lot of the systems but we're just we're taking back what we can and we have great control over this incredible food source and so that's just become like a driving factor we have a goal of of trying to basically have about 80 of of everything that we consume comes Mm -hmm. from this spot and we want to show people how to do that where they're at you know whether that is a a decent size yard if that's all you have i mean showing folks that you can do this and so we're we're lucky to have chickens we're allowed to have 10 chickens within the city limits and so we have 10 chickens and then we have our kids signed up for like 4-h clubs, so then we can do some other things and so we we're trying to basically produce as much of our own food as possible. And we did it step by step. We're, we're still not there. We got a lot, a lot of ways to go, but we basically looked at our grocery list and said, number one, what can we live without? And then number two, yeah. what can we make on our own? You know, what can we start to replace? So like I can stack up all the tomato product I need for a whole year in a spring season, and that's off the grocery list. And so we've kind of done that little by little, one item at a time. And that the group of what we're now producing has gotten a lot bigger, and the group that we're I love buying. love it, and I honestly,
0: I really love that we have more folks like you coming up in the homestead movement because people need to see you don't have to have 50 acres to do this you know not everyone can have 50 acres we can't give 50 acres to everyone in the country there's there's not enough room so like we have to figure out how to do this right. with our food supply issues like you mentioned like people need to figure out how to do this in backyards and on one acre plots and on half acre plots and so i think you people like you are so inspiring in how you've utilized what you have i love it i, I absolutely love it
1: yeah it's it's super important, you know, now more than ever that people grow their own food, and it's a bit of a of a lost art. You know, I mentioned Victory Garden, and I was I'm all into that right now, and so I was doing a little bit of research during World War II, which is when that term became popularized. There were there were 18 million gardens in the United States, and 12 million yes. of them were in cities, and so they're exactly what we're talking about today. And we used to have a whole culture that understood how to do that and 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 now we we're trying to recreate it really and i think a lot of folks are are resonating with that story and so we we've become super passionate yeah. about
0: teaching oh, i love it okay stuff. so seeds starting I, I think most people know why they yeah. should start seeds why it's cool and important and cost effective but for someone listening who is still on the fence they're just like eh, it seems like a lot of work i have to start months ahead of time i have to babysit them give us like your two minute elevator pitch on why you should start your own seeds
1: yeah so i i want to have control over what varieties i'm planting i want to have a a diversity of of varieties if i'm going to the big box store i'm I'm only going to get three different types of tomatoes and most of them are going to be hybrid and there's thousands of tomatoes the the quality and taste of of heirloom non-gmo seeds is completely different from from what else you're going to get and so you know the whole process of seed starting really starts with seed selection you know, we can, I can recommend where, where we go, or I can share where we go. Uh, but what we're really looking for is non-GMO heirloom seed so that we can also do our own seed collection and have true to form plants when we are seed harvesting, you know, when we're doing seed collecting. Um,
0: yes. I think that's did, great. Did I answer your question? <laughs> I think that's, yeah, that's awesome.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, starting your seed, starting your own seeds other than, than the money is, is really being able to control what your end product is uh, without being pitch okay. into yeah. what's available at the store. And really, in the grocery aisle, too, I mean, if you think about the number of things in the grocery aisle compared to the number of things that we have in our garden, you just you do not have a breadth a variety of variety of this nutrient base that you can pull from anymore. And then we really used to have this. I mean this is you used to have a local nutrient rich food that was specific to your area, and that's what you ate, and that turns out to be the best thing that you can grow. And the best thing for your body is when you're, you know, there's a reason you're in this environment and what comes out of this environment is well-suited toward you. And that's, there's really no way to duplicate that without growing it on your own. It's kind of like, it's really good to have local honey. It's really good to have local vegetables and the more local, the better. And if it's in your yard, that's that your yard knows what you need. When you walk around in your yard, you, you if you, you can have a nutrient efficiency and and your garden will supply that for you because you're within that environment. It's, it's a pretty amazing thing. It's, you know, you back, back to the microbiome and soil, soil biology. Stuff,
0: yes, it is. You want rabbit yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. pod, a, a
1: rabbit there, hole. Yes. There's 15 podcasts there, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so, uh, you know, I've, I've got some, some talking points. We can talk about seeds. We can talk about the germination process, which yeah. is something that people kind of get hung up on. And then we'll go into some of the tools that we use, so the seed starting trays and some of the, the do's and don'ts and how to avoid mistakes. With Okay. The yeah. Whole let's
0: let's just d- take us through, dive in, go for it.
1: Sure. So, so, you know, after seed selection, you know, we, like I said, we love non-GMO and, and uh, preferably open pollinated and heirloom. So we're getting pretty specific. If we can be picky, why not? And, and the seeds aren't any more expensive when you're buying the best seeds really than, than not. So I I go for the best. The next thing to consider is basically like, what are you going to put your seeds in, which is, you know, I call soil or the soil medium that you're going to use. And, Probably the most important thing is that consistency is key. So whether you use your own compost, if you're comfortable with with if you're producing your own compost or you're comfortable with that, then you could use that. But what we really want is is consistency, both consistency in texture and consistency in you know quality in aeration, consistency in nutrient base. And the reason I'm looking for consistency is if I, because I want a repeatable process with as few variables as possible. Right. So that when when I do run into some issues that there's very few things that it could be, usually mm-hmm. it's because I didn't water enough and that's why they have flopped over. Right. And so if I can eliminate some of the unknowns, you know, whatever is in the soil medium is going to be reflected in the plants. And I want to I want to have a better understanding of what that is. And so we tend to use and I and this is great for beginner gardeners. We tend to use a, a store bought uh, seed starting mix. In fact, we, we pretty much use it exclusively, even though we make our own compost. If you were to use your own compost, I would I would highly recommend uh, sifting it. A, a great way to do that is you take a, a 2 by 4 cut it into four 24-inch sections, nail it together into a square, and then attach hardware cloth on the back of it. That's the half-inch by half-inch stuff. And, and shake that compost, that store-bought compost, or your own compost through that sifter so that you can get a finer texture uh, because tiny little roots can't hold on to a you know uh, even a half inch chunk of wood and that reduces root ball density which makes it more likely to have transplant shock later and so consistency is key for that reason we use a mix of coconut coir peat moss and um and vermiculite so vermiculite for water retention and coconut coir for drainage and peat moss for a little bit of nutrient there's lots of if if folks have a problem there's a whole yes. peat free movement which i totally get uh, but there's also some great peat free uh, soil starting mixes. The key is just being able to use something that that you can that you know is going to be consistent every time. What we found with using compost as a medium sometimes is uh, each batch is a bit different because it's coming seasonally mm-hmm. out of the garden typically. And so that that may not be the best following compost for the next season in certain cases. It could be a great compost for your spring garden because it came out of your spring garden but may not be the best for your fall garden or or, or the garden in the middle um and so it just we just found with compost that it could there was a lot of unknowns sometimes it was too woody and it would retain a ton of water and there's just really no way to stop it from becoming a water battery so unless you're really good with your own composting you know or you have a very well-known well-sourced pre-packaged compost and you sift it i would okay. I tend to use a seed starting mix that, that will remove a lot of pitfalls. And we find that with our spring garden, uh, basically about 35, because of the seed starting trays we use, the modules are small on purpose. They're soil efficient. Uh, we find that about 35 bucks will get us through an entire season. So basically 35 bucks in the fall, 35 bucks in the in the spring, and that's our entire year. So we basically that's a $70 input plus the seeds is, is our cost. Okay. Uh, it does. You know,
0: yes, a couple questions on this because I have gone back and forth over the years. And I think a lot of people get, confused when you go to the garden store because there are the seed starting mixes and then there's the potting soil and then there's potted plant mixes and there's raised bed mixes and there's like a ton of options so we don't have to go into all of those for every type of gardening Mm -hmm. but specifically when we're talking about starting seeds so you're getting like the seed starting medium that's it's not potting soil but it says seed starting medium on the front
1: (coughs) okay it says seed starting mix yeah and we actually use a like believe it or not we and this one is very readily available we use jiffy organic seed starting mix And there's other, there's other good, we live in a small town. And so it's easy for us to go grab it. And we don't have as many sources. Amazon obviously has a ton of sources. You're looking for something that has aeration and water retention and some amount of nutrient. Right. Um, And you want it to be super consistent. And the finer, the better. What we like about that seed starting mix is it's a very fine grained, you know, very, very fine textured uh, product. And it's the same. Okay. And that's, and so so
0: I will admit, I do not, I use potting soil to start my seeds. Is that okay? <laughs>
1: okay, It's okay. It... That's it's totally okay. fine. It is no, it is okay. The, the, you know the white, It's funny when I first started gardening, I got you know some seeds, some potting mix, and it had the little white balls. And I was I know like, it just look like styrofoam, styrofoam. Yeah, in there. That's, yes, yes, it's vermiculite, and that's great for. <laughs> it took me a while to figure that. out. I was like, yeah. I'm not putting styrofoam in my garden. That's vermiculite, and it's great for water retention. It's basically a water battery. As long as it has the quality so that it's it's a, it's finely textured, that you can you can. Understand how water travels through it, how long water lasts. And that may just be, you have built that knowledge based on that item. That's fine. That is consistency. That's the consistency we're looking for. If that process Mm -hmm. works for you, use it over and over and over again. So when something goes wrong, you know, it's not that one thing that you've used 20 times. And if that, so if that's your perfect compost and you're the compost queen or compost king, great, use it and use it all the time so that- the goal is just consistency. And for us, the quickest and easiest way. And for a lot of gardeners, quick an easiest. And the is difference though, so, like if we
0: were, mix. why they have like, maybe why they created seed starting mixes or why they would be preferable. Is it, I'm assuming it's finer texture and just like, cause I, I know that the potting soil mixes can be like, there's more chunks in it sometimes. Sometimes I have to kind of sift through. Is that what the big difference would be?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I would say for potting mixes is that they're specifically formulated to, to allow water mm-hmm. To move through very, very quickly. And and to a certain extent, it's depending on the, what you're using. So if folks are going with these like four inch pots, which a lot of times they do, they'll reuse yeah. the things from the store, because why not? And there's, there's a bunch of reasons why not to, but that, that's a pretty significant amount of, of soil that you're then placing into the garden that has a different texture than the soil okay. in the garden itself. Yes. Does that make sense? And so you've got this potting soil that you're then putting into your your garden bed and that's a completely different soil medium and you normally if you're using it in a very small module tray so it's a you know like the ones that we have so it's a very small amount of of that potting soil it's not going to make an appreciable difference but if you're using a larger size you're going to end up with pockets of your garden that have different aeration and water flow and so I'm good with it as long as it's on a small level and it's going to work I guess probably one of the things I should say in the beginning of a talk like this is that there's a lot of info here and I would never, I wouldn't want anybody to get overwhelmed with it. Instead, I, I tend to think of it like, you know, you could be like me in high school and pass with a 70, but if I yeah. had put some best practices, if you just add a point here and a point there throughout the process, you know, it adds up and now you're in the 90 range yeah. and now you're having a whole lot more success. And so not, a lot of this isn't just super hard, fast rules. It's not, you don't have to be legalistic yes. about it. Seeds they want to grow. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's what seeds do. Yeah. And they'll they'll grow with or without you uh, in many cases. Uh, but if with these best practices, if, if we think of them just as beneficial add-ons to, to a process we're already doing, we can get ourselves up into yes. those, you know, A plus kind of levels. And so as we talk about some of this stuff, very, very little of it is, you know, hard and fast. You got to do it this way. But we're really just talking about best practices. So we'll try, you know, the, hopefully yeah. folks can just kind of pull things here and, and there to add to their own. You know, benefit, what and that's my doing goal. I think you nailed HR. it.
0: Is like I've grown hundreds of pounds of tomatoes or whatever with just fumbling through. <laughs> you know, putting them in the windowsill, random potting soil, random containers. Uh-huh. But I think for people who are ready to really understand what's going on and get a little more granular and really up level, I think you sure. you said it well. This is this is that deep dive. You don't have to do all this, but when you know it, you know knowledge is power. It's going to help you be better, do better, right. have better results.
1: Yeah, if you do if you do a few things well, it's it's really there's going to be a major difference, and especially if you get into the realm where you're you are trying to make a move where you're actually going to get serious about producing your own food, this is when you really start to you really need to start to dial in your processes. You don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Like I said, the seeds the seeds love to grow, but it's if you want to get high production, especially you know you need to understand what a good seedling looks like and what good seeds look like and how they should germinate and what to what to not do and and so that you can get up to that next level for sure so that you you really have consistent results in the garden. I say the I guess the next thing probably is there's there's quite a few tools not not a ton but there's some some like to have and some must haves within the the seed starting process. Can I ask one more question back on the soil
0: just before we go into the tools? So you said you start with a seed starting medium and then you you mentioned compost and then you mentioned a uh, coconut coir peat moss vermiculite mix. Would that be an either or? Like if you were potting up, are you potting up into straight compost or the coir mixture, or where do those other pieces come in?
1: Yeah. So for folks that are for folks that are going through a process where you're kind of starting small, and I was I always recommend starting as small as possible um, in the smallest module that you can grow that seed in, and then you know potting up in a reasoned. In a, like a staged way as opposed to I don't want to go from a tiny module up to like a big one and so it, it's depending on how long you need to be in the tray you're going to need to amend if you're starting with like a seed starting mix it's going to be nutrient poor maybe that compost has an advantage in that case because it's it's more nutrient dense but the downside is a lack of consistency um, when we do pot up we're then amending with a liquid based fertilizer okay. which I, I will get into more of that detail later but uh, I I tend to want to pot up into something that says close to what it's going to be on outside. Um, I, so I would, I would prefer compost over a potting soil if I'm potting up potting soil is specifically for things that live in pots. I mean, that's what it's best for. You can use it. I mean, we use it for other things too, but that's what it's best for. It's going to be in a pot for a really long time, or if it's going to live permanently in a pot, then I'm, I'm using potting soil. If it's going to be in a garden, then I'm using, okay. I'm trying to use garden soil, especially when I start to get into a much larger potting size. If I'm, if I'm starting with a seed starting mix, like you can totally go into a different medium. Just, I want that medium to get closer and closer as the longer the plant stays in the, in the tray, the more I want that soil to begin to mm-hmm. look okay. like what it is sense. outside. Cause we're building, basically we're building habit in that plant. And the, the more I can match what it's okay. going to really live in, the better. And so it's for a, for a gardener up north who's doing a lot of potting up, just keep in mind that I want to start moving into something that looks more and more like what I have outside. And so maybe that would look like taking that coconut coir that I started and then mixing it 50-50 with like a compost or a garden soil. So it still has a lot of those aeration and drainage properties and it's getting closer to... Okay, I've never thought of it like that.
0: Yeah, that does make sense. I've always just been sense? like, well, garden, here's a bunch of new stuff, random stuff. So that makes sense that you're trying to match it as much as possible.
1: Yeah, so it's a different look for somebody in a, in a warmer climate where I'm a lot closer mm-hmm. to the planting date in some cases than you will be. Or somebody in, in Florida, like zone 11, I mean, all they're doing is starting to consistently, uh, consistently start seeds and then get them out in the garden as fast as possible because yes. the weather's yes. fantastic right? Uh, in your case, you, you you need to be a bit of a doctor about walking mm. the seedlings through the process. Yes, and I'm okay. some, kind of somewhere in between. Certainly in the winter, we're doing a lot of early prep. And so we do a lot of potting up. In the fall, it's already nice outside. And it's, I'm, I'm worried about heat. Like I'm waiting for the summer heat to tail. And I don't have to spend a ton of time in the trays in okay. fall. I yeah. spend quite a bit less time in the trays. And so we're just, I'm going from the smallest module directly into the ground. But and but that seedling hasn't had a lot of time to become you know stuck in its ways I guess, whereas yours after it's been in a tray for maybe eight weeks and you're really trying to get an early start and you've got plants that are this tall, that that plant is is kind of set in its ways. And so I want to I want to have as little difference in whatever it's in today than it's
0: okay. That does make sense. Yes, that's that a great information. Sense. Okay, awesome. Thank you for addressing that. Okay, uh, um, on to tools. Take us yeah. through tools.
1: Yeah. So I'd say probably the, the number one, well, they're, they're all pretty important, but warming mats, lights, and seed starting trays. I mean, something that I can actually put my seeds in, whatever that looks like. I'd say that I'd consider a warming mat, a must have. And I, there's few things that I'll say that about, and I'll get into the nitty gritty of why, and we can look at germination rates and that kind of stuff. But the brand we use is Sun, They cost about 20 bucks. We've used them for, I think we've, We've had the oldest ones we have are now seven years old and they're still kicking. And so we started with one and now we got a stack of them. So So warming mat is a must. Uh, it's going to dramatically increase germination rates and, and there's a lot of good reasons we can get into later. Lights are a big one. And and for the folks that are starting out, I'd say yes. no, you're That's kitchen such a devastating
0: statement, Sean. Uh, There's that you're breaking it. I
1: right I just put it I know.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: right, that was my whole plan this season. Uh, somebody out there is grabbing something and <laughs> you know, yeah. So no, that's not enough light. So seedlings, they really need a ton of sunlight. You're either, you either need a greenhouse with full sun
0: yes, and a greenhouse
1: brings its own challenges because greenhouses have pests and greenhouses are, can have inconsistent temperatures. And so, or you need artificial grow lights for best results. Those lights should really be full spectrum LED grow lights. I've seen, you know, some people have some success with other types of lights and, but, but that's the full spectrum LED lights are really the best, you know, putting it next to the window isn't going to be enough light. The mm-hmm. seedlings are going to get super leggy. Leggy is basically when you have a long stem with a, you know, real spindly and it wants to fall over. And a leggy seedling is going to be a weak seedling. It's going to have to face a lot of stuff once it goes outside. You want it to be as strong as possible. So uh, I consider lights, Either either you're providing full sun via a greenhouse or you're going to have some kind of artificial light. But you start small, you see what works for you, uh, and then you kind of keep adding to the system. Ours is now an embarrassing yeah, level yeah. of complexity <laughs> that you wouldn't want to get to. But ultimately that's where you're going to end up if you're really going to pursue it. But I, you know, the great thing about gardening is you get to be at whatever level you want to, you know, if you need, if you want one bed and that's all you can handle, go for it and make it the best one you've ever had. Uh, the next one. Yes, I do. Uh, Actually, this do you is, have any questions? It is a big topic. We don't have, I mean, kind of a big I just topic. don't have
0: a lot of people who get stuck on that because they'll go. Okay. So here's maybe I've caused part of the problem because I have, fluorescent shop lights we got at lowe's like i don't know eight years ago and i've been using them every year they mm-hmm. work great i put them on a that's bad edit that part out okay no okay <laughs> no i said edit okay. this okay. part
1: out no no i'm be kidding you. yes, no, be yes. Um, so be honest
0: so people see that i put it, i have it on my blog and i talk about it and then they go to try to find them and then they get stuck and they some i, I don't know if they have those kind anymore they're like t3 just like fluorescent lights but then they go and there's like uh-huh. is that okay Yeah, yeah that's those kind okay
1: yeah. Yeah, it is. They, you know, there's whole kinds of, you've got like commercial lighting folks with long row houses that are doing indoor, you know, seed propagation and they're fulfilling nurseries. And that's a, there's a ton of traction for those T. Yeah. I yeah.
0: Something like that. It's a T4, yeah.
1: T5 now. Okay. I don't, I don't use those, the The real ones, the ones yes. that are really good are really expensive. I just, I've used a different, I've, I've used a bunch of different types and the ones that just give me the most consistent results are full spectrum, Specific. Are those a little pricier? Because what I've had people uh, say—they read
0: my blog post and then they go try mm-hmm. to find them at their Lowe's or Home Depot, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, this is outrageous!" But
1: so I just bought four foot long, uh eighty watt grow lights. So they're at the home gardener level; they're not at the commercial level, and they were about okay. forty one bucks a piece, and I got five of them. So it is kind of an investment, but. I could have started with one. It's just, I just made Jim like a giant seed starting station. We're really excited about it. I'll I'll show it at some point. So I'm revamping. But up until now, I've had uh, smaller uh, grow lights, and I just kind of kept adding them one at a time. If I was starting out, I could probably get a $20 grow light, a $40, um, or sorry, a $40 grow light, a $20 warming mat, and, you know, 20 bucks worth of seed starting trays, and then all I need is seeds and soil. And so so I'm, you know, my first... My first foray into this, if I'm dipping my toes yes. in the water, is about 80 bucks, right? To, to get a decent garden started. Okay, that's how, helpful. How yeah, I think I just,
0: I feel like I've confused people because they can't find what I have. And then it's like this whole convoluted. I'm like, it's super cheap to set up seed starting. And they're like, not with these lights. So thank you for that clarity. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a ton on Amazon. It's a bit of a, of a yeah. you know, you got to be careful, read the reviews. The ones that I just got are called Sunco. And I did, I spent way too yeah. long looking at This is
0: your thing though. It's so, all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I went through a
1: whole half day. Yeah, yeah. I went through a half day. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that, those are the ones I ended up on. And I I think I we talked about this before we started recording, but I'll, I'll build a resource page for folks that are looking at this and try to give a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, we'll just leave the highlights for them. So if they need some. some awesome. Guides, that's like, going to be super helpful. Okay.
0: Awesome. Next on your tool list. Oh, so yeah, go ahead.
1: So I Right so the big one and the one that's this one's near and dear to us that is seed starting trays and you know when i said the hobby ran amok basically i got so into gardening that i ended up starting an entire business about revolving around <laughs> seed starting trays because i was yes. so tired of the 72 cell trays from the big box store and so when i mentioned seed trays you know and that's pretty much that's like our wheelhouse that's what we sell at all about the we have 13 different seed trays on our site for various reasons, ranging from like 77 cells to 15. But really of those, most of our garden, because of the zone that we're in, go into two different sizes. That's a 60 cell tray and a 40 cell tray. And so when I'm talking about trays, I'm talking about this kind of thing where it's got individual modules. I'm gonna fill this thing with soil and that's what I'm gonna put my, my seeds into. These are super, super durable. Wherever, wherever, I guess, you know, the different tray sizes all have different uses. Like I said, we really only use like a couple uh, because of where we are, you could probably use a smaller one to start out with. And then you'd pot up into something like as big as uh, we have some that are like kind of root trainers, we have some that are 15 cells that are almost the size, you can see how, how deep that one is. That, yeah, it's 28 cells. Like you can do cuttings in the tray like that. We have one that's a 15 cell that is almost the size as four, like okay. of a 4 by 4 pot. You know, so that standard 4-inch. It's 3.75 inches. Top, anyway, three three 3.75 inches and in, in about the same depth. And so that mm-hmm. way you have like 15 4-inch pots in one hand as you're walking out to the garden instead of having all those individual pots. And I'd say like, no matter where you get, wherever you get them, whether there's, there's, when we first started the business, there was, this was impossible to find. I mean, it was just those 72 self-limsy trays at the store. There's a few other folks out there and what the takeaway should just be, I would highly recommend a rigid, very uh, sturdy seed starting tray. Again, it kind of, I talk a lot about consistency. It goes back to being consistent. I, you know, I want a repeatable process. It's not because if I mess up, it's not going to be because yeah. of this tray that I've used 15 times. The ones that we have are UV stable polypropylene food safe, and they are designed to last for 15 years. I have a funny video where I actually ran <laughs> one over with a car and it was the joke of the video was I was supposed to, you know, put it through the paces and it could make it. And, but Fair don't enough. run it over with your car because yeah. <laughs> it was going to get smashed. But, but I ran it over with the car and it didn't break. So it's still usable. So the joke didn't work, but it still ended up being funny. And, you know, like you said earlier, you've used a bunch of different things. Uh, You know, I see a lot of people will use toilet paper trays, or you use paper egg cartons, you know, reuse what you have. And I totally get it. And I'm okay with it. Um, You're again, you're introducing variables, like you might have glues or dyes within those things. And, you know, if you put if you put a seedling in red dye, it's going to die. And so if you've got red writing on the back of an egg carton, that red dye is going to seep into it. It's going to get pulled in by the water yeah. Yeah. and red dye is a killer for plants. You can, yeah. So, so you just got to watch out that I, I just prefer to not have the, <laughs> the variables that I have to worry about. So I can just work a simple process and, and get consistent results. Uh, you yes. also get like inconsistent water retention, which is also a problem with some of those like, you know, paper pots that you put the plant into and then just put it directly into the garden. You don't have to, you never have to take it out of the pot. There's a lot of, water retention inconsistencies because of the way that product's made. And it also causes lots of root binding. I say it grows right through, but roots have a hard time making through it, especially in the early stages. And so again, the takeaway is just whatever you do, find a super rigid cell, multi-cell module tray. So basically what, no matter what, wherever you get it, it needs to be consistent, repeatable. It has to produce firm root balls. Uh, It needs to promote feeder roots rather than tap roots. And we'll get into some of that as we talk about you know, how to use the trays, but, and you have to be able to remove the seeds mm-hmm. without transplant shock. It needs the plants, the seedlings need to come out of the tray easily without, without any stress. And that's why, you know, I, like, I rarely say never, ne- I would, t- I would tell people without question, never use those 72 cell trays from the big box store. But are they the like the little, they're the tiny, tiny ones. Like mat. they're
0: just a, like, right. I'm, I'm trying to visualize. Cause I've tried those. They're very, yeah.
1: Yeah. They're pretty small. And they, they're pretty small and you know, you, I think they're like nine bucks They're not even that cheap. Uh, And they come with a 10 by 20 inch tray underneath and the module cell tray goes on the inside. And then sometimes they come with a little dome over it. Right. And that's kind of like the seed starter kit, but that's kind of the worst, that's the worst process that you could, you could ever go through. I I think that's probably a gardener killer right there because people use that product. And then they think it's them. I'm just a bad gardener. I don't have a green thumb. And really the product, there's, there's a bunch of terrible practices built into that item. Uh, and nobody knows why would you know not to use it or you have to yes. use it very, very carefully. So I, I tell people stay away from that completely. The last tool in the arsenal that we that, that we use that I would say, this is definitely a like to have and you can repeat, you can do this on your own with other ways, but it's a bottom watering tray. I, we use a bottom watering tray under every seed starting tray. You know, we have the benefit of having a ton of them, but but this is what that looks like. And basically the tray sits inside that bottom watering tray so that I okay. can water from the bottom. You can accomplish, so I definitely recommend bottom watering, but you can accomplish, you can still bottom water without a bottom watering tray. Like okay. you could do that with a cookie sheet. You can drop a tray into a, a cookie sheet with water on it, and then you just want to remove that the tray out of the water after yes. you, it's whipped up the water. So I do recommend bottom watering. I do recommend bottom watering trays; they're easy okay. and they'll I last have,
0: forever. So yeah.
1: And so the takeaway, I have, basically, go ahead, finish your go ahead. finish. Your tip.
0: I have I have questions. So finish your thought.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, basically that yeah, basically the takeaway. You know, just just to simplify that is you know you. You would really love to have a warming mat. So you should probably have one. You need a great light source and you need just high quality, rigid module trays for best results. Again, all this stuff is about best results, not not must-haves, yes. not, not okay. have
0: to do. Are you ready for my questions? I have some questions. These are, This is what I've been waiting to talk about. So I mm-hmm. will be honest. When I first found your trays or you sought me out or I sought you out, I can't remember how it happened initially. I was just looking for a way to have a more sustainable seed starting uh, material because I've used the cheap greenhouse, not the 72 ones, but 70, but like the, I don't know if they're two inch, it's like 48 to a tray. I've used those forever and I try to Mm -hmm. reuse them, but they don't last for Mm -hmm. more than a couple of years. And then they crack and I'm throwing them away and they're getting stepped on and it's just trashy. Right. So I'm trying, and I was trying to figure out how I can produce less waste from my garden. And so when when I came across your trays, I'm like, these are rigid and these are amazing and they're going to last forever. But I didn't realize until I talked to you this last October, like there's a whole science behind, they have larger holes at the bottom. And then you talked about the bottom watering, So why, why is that so crucial to have like, you were telling me how the other ones, I think it was the roots or there was something there that I was thought it was really interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess that kind of leads into the, to the, we'll, we'll skip, do you want to skip germination? We'll go right into that and we'll talk about germination in a second. So yeah, what I, what I was talking to you about was, and this kind of goes back to never use a 72 cell tray. So whenever, when, whenever we water plants, we, the tendency is to basically pick up that tray and dump water into the bottom. And the plants end up, the seedlings end up staying in that water a lot of times. Also, those 10 by 20 trays have these rivulets on the bottom that hold water. And what happens whenever water is readily available to to a plant is it produces a taproot. It says, this is my water source. I need to to put my resources toward using this water source. So the plant just assumes that that's its long-term spot to find water. And then it says, send out a taproot. So we never... I never want my seedlings in contact with water after watering similar to outside. I mean, you got a spring shower and everything looks fantastic, right? The water doesn't stay there forever. If it floods, everything dies. Right. And so, but we're basically creating a flood in our seed tray if we're keeping our seedlings in water contact all the time. And so the bottom watering has the bottom watering trays that we use have fins on them that elevate the tray. So we're wicking up water, but, what I tell people because whether or not they have the trays is if you're going to do, once you do your bottom watering, you, you lift that tray up and you get it off of the water source. So you put it somewhere where it can be in, con- where air can be in contact with the bottom of the tray. And that goes for whatever item you use. Water it, get it away from the water, get it in contact with air if you can. And so what those large holes at the bottom, like you mentioned, not only does it make it so that you can really easily get the seedling out without hurting it, Um, but it allows for air pruning. So um, on the flip side of watering correctly, instead of making that really long tap root, which is only for gathering water, the plant will focus on making feeder roots or these microfilament roots. And those are the roots that are in charge of bringing in nutrients to the plant. And we want as many of those as possible. They're super, super fragile. When a plant spends its time making a tap root, it doesn't have the resources needed to make you know, it doesn't have, it's spending all its its resources on building that taproot instead to the detriment of those microfilament roots. And so then you have a plant that you're putting into the garden that it doesn't have a, an ability to, to uptake nutrients very well because it's not poised for that. It's not ready for that. Instead, it's got a super long taproot and you, you take that plant out, that seedling out, that taproot's hanging down. And then when you go to put it in the garden, you crush that taproot and that equals mm. instant transplant shock. So you don't have the good roots that you want. You have a tap root that you don't really want or need because its water source, it needs to go find its water source somewhere and it's not going to be in the same place it used to be because you just took it out of the tray. And so you don't have the type of roots that you need. And the only good root that you have, that tap root, gets crushed when you plant it because you got to swirl it around because it's like eight inches long. And so if you've ever picked up one of those trays and you go, look at all these roots, you don't want any of those. You're better off cutting all of those off. So if you do use a different type of tray and you end up with tap roots. Things I never knew.
0: I mean, I've grown seedlings. It's worked, but like little did I know. So this is fascinating. Yeah. When you told me that in October, I was.
1: Yeah. And preferably cut them off the day before before you plant them. So they have time to get over the fact that you just (laughs) cut off the (laughs) roots. So, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Cool.
1: Any, any other questions on the, on the watering? We can, we'll, we can get into some depth about, about, you know, packing the trays uh, with soil and and watering. The, the, probably the next logical thing is, is some, some stuff about germination because germination is probably a big area where people get a, get a little bit frustrated.
0: Yeah. Go for it. Yes. yes, yes.
1: Sound good. So basically like, uh, so understanding what Seeds need to germinate is the key to mastering the the germination step. And so for a seed to germinate, it needs warmth and moisture at the same time. So warmth and moisture at the same time. And one without the other leads to delayed germination or weakened seedlings. If they do germinate um, or total failure to germinate, basically, you know, you killed the seed. And so to germinate seeds at a high rate, we need to keep them consistently warm and consistently watered together at the same time. And if you think about it, what you're mimicking is, you know, if you think about spring, right, you get a nice spring shower, the ground outside has an ability to maintain a level of moisture consistently. So when it rains, it seeps into the soil, and it's going to be there for days, it might be there until the next rain, right. And so the soil is, is well moist, and, and at a really nice level of moisture for a long time. And then after that rain, you get those nice warm spring days. And now the seed has consistent moisture consistent warmth and what happens everything springs up out of the garden you start to see your daffodils you start to see your bulbs come back probably the weeds got there first right Uh, but everything starts to germinate when those two factors come together and so mimicking creating that environment you know again what we're trying to do a lot of times is look at what nature is doing and bring that into this controlled environment for best results so what we want to do is get warmth and, and water consistently at the same time. That's the key to germination. If you do it at different times and it's not going to work out for you. When I, I mentioned like why warming yes. mats were a must. So germination, it's basically germination rate and time to germinate. So, you know, if, if the seeds are good, assuming that the seeds are of good quality, they're not too old or they haven't been mistreated, right? A, germ, a, a warming rats, a Warming mats going to give you germination rates at like 90 plus percent. So that, you know, if you've got a tray with 60 cells in it and, uh, you know, if you've got a 50% germination rate, that's the difference between 30 plants and and like, you know, 57, right? If you're at the high germination rates. And so it's just a lot, a lot more likely to germinate because you can control that warmth over a long period of time. If you think about the environment, the seedling is in, it could be your kitchen, right? But, you know, maybe you just have a warming light and there's a lot of heat fluctuation there. Like maybe it's on the kitchen counter. You turn the stove on and it gets hot. And then the AC kicks on and it gets cold. Maybe it's a nice day and you open up the windows and the cold air comes in. And so you're really throwing that seed tray into, and the seedling, what can happen is the seedling goes, oh, it's warm and it's wet. And then suddenly it's cold and then it doesn't, It you know, you're going to get a weak seedling. And so the germination mat, the, the heating mat allows you to, as long as you're watering, allows you to basically keep that super consistent. And the time is basically we can go with one of the big ones like tomatoes. So a tomato at 50 degrees can, will take somewhere around 43 days to germinate, but a tomato at 86 degrees mm-hmm. will take six yeah. days to germinate. So the same tomato seed. And, and that makes a lot of sense because the tomato doesn't want to pop up too early. You know, sometimes you get a volunteer tomato, they seem to pop up at like usually a bit late and you yeah. go, oh man, it's a tomato, it's not gonna work out, right? Uh, Cause it's too late, you're never gonna get to fruit. Well, its job outside isn't to get to, it's to get to fruit and then fall over and die yes. and make more tomato plants, right? For us, we want to make a perfect tomato. And so getting an early start on germination with this, the, the warming mat will cut, like the difference between you just doing it, say on the kitchen counter, you get half as many plants and then maybe it takes 14 days to germinate because it's around 60 or 68 degrees. And that's a whole week off of your growing season. So the if I can get it to germinate in six days versus 14, then I've, I'm literally now a week ahead of time. And so that's the difference between for you putting a plant in that's yeah. this tall versus one that's this tall because it, it took you spent so much time in the germination stage. So warming mats are super, super important. The key takeaway there is just seedlings need to be consistently warm and watered. And the best way to Can do that- Can you just
0: restate the, the temperature? Mat. I think you said it and I missed it. Whether we're using a warming mat or we're just making sure the temperature of the room they're in is proper, what are we looking at as in terms of a range?
1: Yeah, so-, so The, uh, yeah, the ideal range is uh, like 77 to 86 and up to 95. I mean, some, you don't get as much reduction in days as the temperature goes up. 77 is kind of like where it starts to get really good. So for example, the difference between like cauliflower at 68 degrees is six days at 77. It's five at 86. It's also five. And so, you know, if, if, which is it's hard to keep your house 78 degrees who wants that you know i know i know we'd be turning on the ac if we were 78 degrees and so that's really where it needs to be and that's a hard temperature to maintain i mean that's that's what the sun's going to do to soil outside and that's why things will terminate on their own but it's hard to do that's why the the uh, warming max do
0: make a lot of sense yeah without
1: a warming map yeah carrots carrots are 10 days at 60 degrees and six Hmm. days at 86 so really in that, like if, if I, if I had to give a number to anybody, I'd say 80 degrees. What the warming mat does is it brings up the temperature about maybe six to seven okay. degrees, depending on the warming mat. And so if you if your house, if your AC is set at 72, then the warming mat's at that's 80. That's not
0: perfect. Okay. Yeah. That makes that's sense. That's helpful. Need. I think that's what gets a lot of people yeah. is not realizing. I know. Yeah. Right. Right. It's just not a enough heater. to take the edge off. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Just enough. Right. Exactly. Questions I think on I'm good. Yeah.
0: I thought that was that was super helpful. Yeah, I know. I know when I first started that got me because I had them in the, our basement and I didn't realize it needed warmth and in addition to light. And so I was like, why is nothing working? And it was just what mm-hmm. you said. So I think a lot of people miss that until later.
1: Right. And it, it, you know the the warmth and water, they're gonna trigger that seed's response to start growing. If the warmth triggers it to grow and water's mm-hmm. not there, it dies. And if the water triggers it to grow and the warmth isn't there, it does. And so that's, you know, you really got to put both of them together. And so, you know, that's why a lot of times you just stare into that tray and then five survivors pop up and out of 30 because it got too cold or too dry. That number one killer inside a seed tray like pre-eruption stage before you see leaf in the germination stage, number one killer is a lack of water. So they can never go dry. You really got to make sure that the the solar medium has some level yes. of moisture. Just that brings
0: away. me, I wanted to kind of circle back on the the bottom watering. And I want to play devil's advocate a minute. Because <laughs> I've, I've heard the bottom watering a lot. Mm-hmm. But I'm also like, okay, so especially outside in the garden, right? We have sprinklers that sprinkle from the top. And I get people who comment on my pictures like, oh, no, no, you have to do it from the bottom. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, well, nature does it from the top. So how, like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: So... so- so nature waters from the top, but nature also dries from the top, usually pretty quickly. Okay. And so, it, but nature also does things like freeze at the wrong time and burn. And <laughs> Good point. So I don't necessarily. I, I, I'm I'm mimicking nature a lot, but I'm also I'm also stewarding the garden, and so I'm. I, it's okay for me to make it even better, and there's a lot of opportunities to do that. So I bottom water in the tray because seedlings are, are pretty fragile. If you were to plant seedlings outside and then a crushing rain comes in, they're, they're most likely going to die or they're going to be extremely weakened. They got to spend a lot of time recovering and now you've lost a week in the garden, right? Um, and it's similar in the trace. They're they're just very fragile at the early stage. Sometimes the seedlings are really, or the seeds are really tiny and I make this perfect tray and then I dump water on top and it washes them all around. And now I've got them stuck on the side instead of in the middle. And so there's some benefits of, of bottom watering there. Um, bottom watering, uh, especially if you're doing it in an elevated way, it prevents, you know, overwatering so that it can drain out. When I'm, when I'm first putting something out in the garden for the first week, week and a half, I'm absolutely not watering from the top. I don't need the plant. I don't want the, I don't want the seedlings to have to deal with anything other than just making new roots and growing and getting off to a good start. And so I'm definitely watering at soil level for all of my new seedlings And so we do some, we do top, we do water from above, definitely in the summer. Uh, By the time the summer comes around, all of the plants are well mature and they can, it's not going to hurt them for a drop of water. Sometimes you put in a new seedling and maybe it's dealing with a little transplant shock you dump water on the top of it and it's just like laying down in the ground and you're like, just survive. Sorry. And I want to avoid that. So I don't, when when the plants are very, very young, I'm not top watering outside and bottom watering within the seed starting process helps the top level the soil is going to dry out first which is what we want uh, so that we don't have mold mildew and fungal issues if it's over wet we start to see mold mildew fungus and then the the seedlings have to overcome that if they do which means that they're not growing when they're dealing with it's kind of like when you're sick yes so we want to avoid that
0: okay that makes sense um, after that yeah. after that
1: we top water all the time and okay. and so does the rain
0: okay that yeah. yes that's helpful i don't i mean it's just
1: in that early stage yeah
0: that question i when i had austin from home Study on uh a couple episodes ago and we were talking about that kind of fallacy of like well natural 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 to a point where sometimes nature's a lot harsher and things die a lot more <laughs> when we're, you know in that realm mm-hmm. so right we, i'm it, trying to keep them alive yeah, acknowledge that pay attention to that but also go okay how can i steward like you said so Great answer. Thank you.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, when it, when it rains and there's a, li- a nice breeze, you do the same thing in the inside and there's no breeze. Yes. And so you've got a lot of moisture retained on that, you know, on the, on the leaves. And one thing that just while we're on it, one thing I never top water is tomatoes. I never, I never water a tomato leaf. Why? Outside in the garden. Why? I'm always watering at soil level. Is
0: it for? Because
1: tomatoes do not do well with moisture. Okay.
0: Okay. Just. Yeah.
1: That's, Yeah. We basically, we always want to keep tomato leaves dry.
0: Okay. Good to
1: know. Hopefully after it rains, the sun comes out real quick. And the, the more that that happens, the more tomatoes you're going to have, or the better tomatoes you're going to have. Awesome. Tomatoes also really like kind of uh, periodic water and then to be dry. Tomatoes do best where they get water and then they're dry.
0: Okay. Awesome. Sweet. So, All right. Thank you for answering that. Yeah, I've been wondering. Tomatoes are wanna... one
1: thing I don't top water.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Oh, okay. So. The next thing was uh, once, so once I guess we can start with it, we can talk about uh, how, to, how to actually use the trays that we use or really any rigid seed tray yeah. in general. Once we've decided what our soil medium is going to be, and for us, that's that coconut coir mix. We're, I'm going to use the trays and I'm going to pack them really well. So you can't compress. The other thing, the other thing I like, I guess, about that, that store-bought thing, the coconut coir, is that you can't really compress it. I mean, it will, you can get it, once it's moist, it will hold its shape. But then it will immediately fall apart if you were to press on it. And so you really want to pack the trays well with whatever soil medium you're using because roots like something to hold on to. And so I I pack them really well. And then I'm usually either I'm pre-moistening. I I usually pre-moisten the mix so that when I do bottom water it, it doesn't pull like dry soil doesn't fall out the bottom if it's moist it will retain its shape and won't fall into the bottom and so i like to pack the soils really well i like to pre-moisten so that i'm not immediately i'm not bottom watering basically when i'm seeding i'm starting with moist trays and then they go directly onto the to the warming mats okay there's probably a lot of questions around how often to water yes for sure and the short answer is when it needs it, I guess. Yep. <laughs> but I, so never allow a block of soil to go completely dry. That's obvious. You know, I, and I've, I mean, I've done it. I've walked in and everything looks like the poor unfortunate soul yes. on uh, Little Mermaid. <laughs> right. I think we actually did an Instagram video with that song in the background. We had killed the whole seed tray. So it happens. Yes. But so never allow it to go dry completely. Dry to the touch at the top is a good thing. Dry to the touch at the bottom is not. So dry to the touch of the top is a good thing. Dry to the touch of the bottom is, is not. You need to definitely water real quick. Um, depending on the size of the seed tray module. So this one that's a little smaller is going to need water more often versus this one's going to have a lot more soil in it. And so it's going to be able to retain water for longer. Um, you know, we're watering as as often as every other day and as infrequently as every maybe four or five days depending on the seed module size so once you've potted up you may only be bothering once a week as long as you're able to retain the moisture if you're in a soupy if it's in a real windy spot or if you're uh, trying to toughen up your plants by having some kind of oscillating fan that helps them to to create stronger stems um, you may be doing some evaporative work there and so you need to keep an eye on the, the water level. You'll get the hang of it. Basically, if, if you can go in just a quarter inch into the soil and you still feel some moisture, they don't need water yet.
0: Okay. That's a good rule of thumb.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think probably another big question would be light. How much light yeah. and like what the positioning is. Do you, and I'd it, love to know if so, you shut
0: it off at night
1: or do you, I do. you do. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: What happens if how bad is it if you night? don't, maybe some some person who shall remain nameless doesn't shut them off at night? How bad is that?
1: So there's probably a lot of questions around how much light uh, uh, seedlings need. So s- seedlings need more light than full grown plants, sometimes as much as 16 to 18 hours. We run our lights on a timer 16 hours on, eight hours off. Plants don't need to rest at night. They'll just continue photosynthesizing with light, which is... You know, I mentioned they grow they grow food in Alaska really well because they have a 24 hour day. You know, where the sun doesn't yes. go down. There's a period in there where the sun doesn't go down, and plants plants love the sun. And so there's really no there's never too much sun. There can be too much dry as a result of too much sun, but but there's no too much sun. Um, there's just more of a minimum. And I don't like to have the LED lights on because they're kind of purplish and you know makes my house glow purple. Sure. At night. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, so I turn them off. So 16 hours on, eight hours off, and later on. Um, for you, as you're potting up, after they've started to create maybe their first or, or probably their second set of true leaves, you can bring that down about 12, 12 on, 12 off.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: That makes oh, that's sense. good to know. So the plant starts out with the, those little dicot leaves, and they all look the same, yes. and you're not really sure what it is. Yep. Once they start to make that true leaf, and when they make that true leaf that looks true to its form, so on a tomato, like a rule of thumb for me is once I see that second uh, leaf set, I could reduce that down to 12, 12 on, 12 off.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes yes. Sense. So they does. need
1: more sun in the earliest in the earliest stages. Once they start to produce a couple of leaf sets, then you can back off some of the sun. If you the nice thing about the LEDs is they're just super efficient, and so the the, the difference between going sixteen hours and twelve probably isn't much on the on the electricity bill.
0: Yeah, that's a good you consideration know, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome.
1: So if you want to keep them long, you're not going to hurt them. But uh, if you want to taper it off, just because it bothers you that they're on so long, then you can tapered off to 12 and 12 after they've done those second leaf sets
0: awesome okay i might need it. To... That, that's that's yeah. how we use it i have my lights in the basement so it's easy to forget they're down there i mean if they were up in my main part i'd totally shut them off at night because it would annoy me too but <laughs> i always forget they're down there and then i leave them on and I, yeah probably could get better at. yeah so
1: we have we just have ours we have ours on a timer we just have an external timer so all of the lights come into a single hub and then that hub is plugged into the timer That's smart. So on and off yes. automatically. Very smart. Yeah. Okay. Because I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to forget them too. I don't ever turn them on and off. I just let the system do it. And then the other thing would be distance. So uh, like how, how far do you want the light away from the seedling when it's, when it's growing? The general rule is like, you need 20 to 40 Watts of power per square foot is ideal. So if you had a four foot space, then you'd want to have an 80 watt lamp uh, or 80 watt grow light and you'll see the, like some of the big commercial lights are as much as 200 watts, and they might be 12 or 20 inches from the top of the plant. But what we're using at home normally is 40 or 80, 40, 80 or 60. I use 80, 80 watt, four foot long. And so I have them as close as like four to six inches from the top of the plants. I don't want the plants to go searching for light. Yes. When they search for light, they get leggy. I want that light to be right in front of them. So they just go straight up. And more light is better than less light. Another way that you can amplify light within your seed starting system is you can, you know, put uh, aluminum foil on, on the back and side. So if you oh. were doing it in a little cabinet and you had a grow light and you had, you know, one little tray, you could, you know, line a cardboard box with aluminum, put it around it. It's not that pretty, but that's a way to amplify light if you're using maybe a light that's not as expensive, if you wanted to get like a starter light, and you felt like maybe it wasn't powerful enough, you can try to amplify light that way. In general, I would just say buy two instead of one, so that you've got full coverage on the tray. So if you're going with a really small one that's twenty bucks, you probably buy buy two of them and it ends up being forty anyway, um, depending on the size. Because what you don't want is a lot of light on a certain part of the tray and no light on others. And so the ones on the outside end up trying to creep; they're moving toward the light. So we want some consistent light. That's a, that, makes that does
0: make sense. And I never thought about the aluminum foil trick, but that's super smart.
1: Yeah. And like, that's why sometimes you'll have some really nice plants in the middle and then the other ones are all springy and long. It's because they were, they spent a lot of time looking for sure. light. And when they're looking for light and they're building stem, guess what? They're not building. They're not building roots.
0: There, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Makes, yeah. That makes total sense. Um, Things you don't think about until, Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, and that reminds me, I talked a little bit about doing amendment. So because we use that coconut coir, it's, it's somewhat nutrient poor. And we use micro-life as the organic fertilizer that we use as, you know a water base. We add it to the water when we're watering. And it's important to use the, 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 the one that's for roots, you know, for root production instead of foliar production in that early, early stage. And then if for you in a later zone, in a higher, a more northern zone, where you're actually growing plants. See, I'm just growing seedlings and trying to get them in the garden as fast as possible. Mm. You probably spend another, you know, maybe four or five, six weeks longer in a tray than I do. And so you're potting them up and you're you're interested at that point in making leaves. And so then you want to switch over to a foliar, one that's dedicated to foliar growth. Does that That's make what
0: makes total sense. Yes. Okay. So
1: root grow, ro- give them a root grower when they're trying to grow roots, give them a foliar grower when you want them to grow leaves.
0: And that's even when you're using uh, like a potting soil with fertilizer in it, that's to still go ahead and use your water based. I mean,
1: it's a that's a tough thing to say because there's such a dramatic variety of quality in in the, the store bought products. If you if you've got one that you, that's re- working and you're seeing positive results, maybe you never have to do an amendment at all. I'm always doing the amendment because we're using coconut coir and it's it's basically just a growing medium. Yeah, and it's got some of the, it's got some peat moss in it, or if you did a peat free one, they're probably going to substitute something else that's the nutrient base it's, you know, it won't be peat, but it'll be something in there. Um, and that's, but it's still short lived. I mean, it's, it, it's not going to work for three straight months, right? Yeah. Um, if you're using potting soil, maybe it's, if it's got like a slow release kind of thing, then it's got plenty of nutrient base and we don't want to over, over uh, fertilize them. But if we're just using like a coconut coir vermiculite peat moss mix, which is what a lot of people do, then we may have to amend a little bit, uh, certainly later in the process. Okay. Yeah. So that I, we probably got to the point, do we feel do you feel like we covered enough on what we're doing while we're in the trail Yes. Uh, yes, I think the time that we spend inside. that is
0: Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Do you want to transition into like, hardening off how we get them into the ground without yeah. killing them? Because that's another pain point I know for a lot of folks.
1: Right, right. So I think the number one thing to remember is the seedlings don't like change they don't want change in like temperature humans. and they don't want change in <laughs>
0: humans don't like yeah change yeah
1: ever. and they don't want they don't want change in moisture level and so you got to remember they've been inside they've been sheltered they probably haven't had a, like if you're if you're firing on all cylinders and you got your fan going and you're really amping these things up then they may be they may do a little better but if you're like most people you're going to grow your seedling and then maybe you don't wait as long to put them out there or maybe you you know you know, harden them off the way you're supposed to, but just remember they've been sheltered. And we, so we want to start to slowly move them to the environment that they're going to be in. So now, number one, the best time to plant in my experience is in the evening. So what happens if we're planting in the morning is it's kind of cooler in the morning and then it gets really hot and then it gets cooler again. I'd rather have them in the evening so that they can spend their first 16 hours outside in a cool evening, a cool night and a cool morning before the heat starts to slowly come up. And so they've got, so if, if I don't have a bunch of time to harden off every single time, I'm going to plant in the evening for sure. And if I have time to harden off, to harden off, or if I'm really wanting to do it, then I'm, I'm usually doing it a day for every 10, well, a day for every 15 degrees or so difference. And so if it's 70 outside and it's, you know, 85 or 70 inside and it's 85 outside, then I'm, I'm going to want to harden off for about a day. And I'll probably do that a day's time. And I'm probably going to do that over the course of maybe a, a little starter for a few hours in the best part of the day on day one. And then I'm going to double or triple that time on day two uh, before they go to the ground.
0: Okay. That's a good, yeah.
1: And hardening off, hardening off can be the same day. Uh, as long as it's not too hot if the weather's nice you got to use your judgment i may i may let them harden off in the morning and they've been outside for eight or ten hours before i actually put them in the ground in that evening get them out there early as long as i know that the weather's going to be nice uh and i so i might harden off i might have done a shorter hardening off period the day before and then i might harden off during the day that i'm actually planting um it's rare that i'm going two or three days of hardening off i don't think plants really need that much in your later stages again the plants get set in their ways. And so it's a bit, you got to couch that a little bit for where you are. And so if it's, it's also, it also may be dramatically colder in what you consider spring versus yes. what I, I mean, spring down here might be 98 oh, degrees no, no, no. and we're like, oh, it's nice outside. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so you might be, you might be planting into 45 or 55 degrees and that's a pretty big difference. So your, your hardening duration might end up going to a couple days. Okay. And you're just picking the best parts of the day to do that and you're avoiding the bad weather. I would say in general, if you've got really healthy plants for, for the folks that are in like zones eight and warmer, uh, that hardening off may only be a day. Or you can, we've certainly, there's been times when we've gotten away with no hardening off because the seedlings are just really healthy.
0: Okay.
1: The biggest thing is just avoiding plant transplant shock. So yeah, hardening off is, a, is a definitely a best practice. Depending on where you are, you can get away with, with shorter periods.
0: That's good to know. I've, I've always um, thought it was like, it had to be a week or you know it felt like this huge cumbersome thing so Mm. I like that you're saying it doesn't have to be that long you know not always
1: I don't I have we have personally never hardened off anything for more than a couple days I mean they're resilient I mean plants are resilient in general and really what we're trying to do is just give them the best possible scenario but that doesn't mean that you know if we mess up a little bit or we don't harden off long enough they're all going to die it's just if, if I can get everything to align just right, then we have the best harvest ever. But, you know, a few things that don't go perfect here and there, it's, it's going to be fine. The plants are going to survive. Um, for you, maybe hardening off is, you know, a, a two to, two to three day toss. Okay. I, don't, I don't see a scenario where you need to harden off longer
0: than that. Awesome. Okay, good to know.
1: Yeah. And so the, I'd say the number one thing, and really it leads to when I say that, you know, the We want to get the plant ready for the new environment it's going to be in and it's been relatively sheltered. Really all that translates to is transplant shock. And what we're trying to do the number one killer is transplant shock. We're trying to avoid transplant shock at all costs. It starts with the seed tray and the formation of that root ball and the ability to get that seedling out of that seed tray really easily without doing any damage. It starts again with the soil medium. If I have chunky soil, the roots can't hold on to the root ball falls apart, right? Seed roots get moved and they're exposed. That's transplant shock. The root hanging down at the mm-hmm. bottom that gets crushed, that's transplant shock. The drastic temperature difference, that's transplant shock. And really, planting is all about how to avoid transplant shock. And if I've done the best practices leading up into it, there's a, there's a, a lot fewer things for me to, to get transplant shock from. One of, the, one of the major killers when we're moving from the tray to outside is moisture. Uh, never plant into dry soil. Yes. You can think of this like if you had water on the kitchen table and you took a, a paper towel next to it, what happens? The water moves to the dry spot and it gets sucked all up. And so if you put your seedling, your, you've, you had that seed tray watered maybe the day before and the moisture level is just right and you put it into drier soil, the moisture immediately leaves the root ball. And so the, the seedling says, I've dried out immediately, not in a gradual progression like it normally would over the course of the day as moisture leaves, but instantaneously. And it's instantly shocked and so always we always water the soil well prior to the planting so that's for, for us that typically looks like watering in the morning if it hasn't rained already if the moisture level isn't where we want sometimes it is but if it's dry at all then we're watering in the morning in preparation for that evening planting
0: that makes, that makes sense. sense it does yes yeah and i yeah um, i've seen that happen yeah, so, so yeah the moisture i know is super key
1: you know some early mistakes we made we'd plant 35 plants and maybe we'd move on to the next bed and then an hour later we'd come with the hose and water yes. you know been there and yeah. for that whole hour those plants were like what where what are we doing out here and so now it's the soil is moist before the plants go in we're watering basically it's watering into an going into an environment that the fields very similar to what it's been in right? yes yes the other thing is soil density so we use a trick where so we've got this perfect root ball, the soil medium is good, the roots are undisturbed, we're able to pop it out perfectly, the moisture level in the soil as well is is matching what it was in the tray. We because we do no dig gardening, we use a dibber to plant. Mm-hmm. And a dibber is basically, you know, a rounded stick. We've got some really nice ones that I love. They're just they're handmade heirloom items. You can accomplish the same thing with a stick that you want to whittle, you want it somewhat rounded. The benefit of of uh, using a dibber or compressing into the soil as opposed to spading out of it. If you think about the way that a, a spade goes into the soil, what happens is it compresses the soil along the back of the spade. So this soil gets compressed. Mm. And then when you come out, what happens to the soil on the other side? It gets uh, opened, yes. like fluffed, aerated. And then you put the seedling or you put your little plant in there. And the roots go to the easy soil and it produces lopsided root system. Uh, does that make sense? It does. I
0: hadn't thought of that.
1: So when, yeah, again, you know, you can do that and it's not detrimental. It's like, not like you killed the plant sure. if you did it the wrong way. But again, here's another point, you know, it's add two more points now we're at 97, right? When I use that dibber, it consistently compresses the soil all around the entire cavity that I'm about to place the the seedling into and it's compressing the soil to a similar degree. When we talked about unpacking those trays with soil, it's compressing the soil to a similar degree as the soil is compressed within the tray. And that seedling doesn't know it's been transplanted. Okay. So I'm picking, I'm picking the right temperature. I know. So I'm picking the right temperature. I've got the right moisture level. I've got no transplant shock. The soil is the same density and, the, the seedling just starts growing immediately. And we, we went back to time-saving. So I saved a week on germination. I took care of the seedlings properly while they were within the tray so they didn't have to overcome things like it got too dry and now they spent all their time healing, right? And then I put them outside. And rather than getting a, a week of transplant shock where they where they pause and don't put on new growth, we see new foliar growth within you know, 48 hours. Yeah. And so I've saved a week on the front end and a week on the back end. And that's two weeks of your growing season. And that's a dramatic difference between the tomato being at the right temperature and able to set fruit. So it's got flowers, but no tomatoes because it, it's too late. Now it's too cold or it's too late. Now it's too hot. Yeah. But I jumped the gun with my seed starting on the inside in a perfect environment. I put it outside and immediately started growing. And that's a, that's a big difference, especially if you're dealing with a shorter season where you're coming up against winter. Uh, oh that's, yeah. So that's, that's for me. That's for huge. You stretch your season. Yeah. Yeah. You have a short season. Two yes. weeks is a, is a, is a game changer in your world because we also never know when an early freeze is coming. So right. like, you know, that might be the difference between you're looking at the weather and now you have ripe tomatoes ready to harvest versus tomatoes that didn't, you know, it took them. Oh m- yeah. If, totally. if only we had that extra week back. Yep. And so we're really taking, extending the the season with, with best practices there is that did i cover everything on on yes. actually putting them out in the yeah that's
0: just those little details like you said i think it's just you can do it without them but just so that's going to up level for right. a lot of people if they can just start adding those little bits of, right. and thinking more and you know just yeah it's it's pretty fascinating
1: yeah so the next thing i'd, I'd talk about would be seed saving i that's there's that's a whole nother topic and there's books written on yes. it. And so it's a little bit different for, for each type of plant. You know, the, your, the way you seed a tomato or save a tomato seed is different from the way you save a jalapeno seed. Right. But in general, I'll, I'll basically just be a seed saving advocate and I'll give you a couple of, of things that I think are, are important to, to understand about saving seeds versus purchasing them. It's a bit next level. So we still certainly buy seeds regularly but one of the one of the best things about seed savings is that you can do basically generational selective breeding within your own space. Yes. And so, you know, I can go out there and I I made these seedlings in the tray. And only the best ones went into the ground. You know, the ones that got stuck in the little seed, I'm sorry, get over it. It died. I pulled it out. I know it's, yeah. it's, it's hurtful. <laughs> I worked hard yes. for that thing. I hate to pluck it out. Or, you know, I, I've got space for 10 plants and I have 20 seedlings. I'm going to pick the best 10, right? Yes. So they've lived the best life. These are the best 10 plants. I put them into the ground. And one of them made the best tomato of the season. That's the seed I save. Mm. And that seed goes into my garden the next year and it's that much better. The other thing that, that happens, and this is just part of, you know, the natural process of all plants is it becomes hyper acclimatized to the place where you're growing it. So for me in Texas, it's my tomatoes are more drought tolerant than if I just buy tomato seeds, new tomato seeds, and I can do that season after season. So not only with seed saving, not only am I picking the ones that I like the best, that are already proven to give me results and the best seeds went in, they made the best possible fruit. And now they can also deal with maybe not enough water because it's a bit hot here, or they can deal with, it's a bit windy where I'm at. And so these plants will end up making thicker stems as a result. And so you'll get much you know plants that are basically hyper acclimatized to your they become the Jill Winger tomatoes yeah. and yeah. everyone wonders like, well, what is it? Well, I've been planting that same cherry tomato. I've been planting a cherry tomato in succession now for the seven years that we've been here. So, and I've done that twice a year. So it's a, it's the 14th generation of a cherry tomato and they're filling up our whole neighborhood. That's
0: so cool. <laughs> That's so cool. That, what a legacy yeah. though, as a home gardener. What a, I mean, you could yeah, yeah totally. go wild with yeah. that. I love it.
1: Birds eat them, and they they're popping yeah. up everywhere. I, I, nobody has figured trading. out. <laughs> nobody has figured out it's me yet. Yeah. So you know, now they're gonna know. Yes, like yes. oh, that's where those cherry tomatoes came the world from. Is going those to things pop up everywhere. <laughs> I, I I tend to some sometimes I seed them, and sometimes I just go pick the best ones that popped up on their own, and I put them in a row. Yeah, I'm like you're ready at this point. I don't need to selectively save; yeah. they're all perfect. That's so cool. that's that's oh. one that I that I may or may not have to ever seed save again, but they're here every year. I guarantee they're going to be, I just don't know where they're going to be. Yeah. So if I can, I can play wild card tomato every I once in a while with that particular, it's a coyote. It's a popular, very popular coyote cherry tomato, but I mean, it it grows in like bunches like grapes. It's unbelievable. Every fruit sets. It's crazy. Yeah. So, and that's just the, the, and I've got probably another six or eight things that we've, that we do that with that are trailing behind it. But that one's definitely the leader. Okay. It's like, this is where this thing grows. Yeah. This is the, the south central texas cherry tomato the ultimate yeah <laughs> if anybody else had it it would grow forever and we're we're going to end up doing that with you know 30 40 50 different varieties eventually when it comes to seed saving so after selection it, it comes storage mm-hmm. and then there's there's probably just uh, number one it's it's worth some some small amount of research to figure out like wh- how do you save certain seeds a tomato is a great example tomatoes need to ferment before yes. they will germinate well and if you think about the way it term, that makes a lot of sense because the tomato falls on the ground and it gets kind of rotten and those, they basically you know become fermented in the, in the tomato and then they germinate really, really well. So you need to ferment your tomato seeds, which can be a bit challenging. You basically have to take all that pulp out and leave it, put a little uh, cheesecloth in a Mason jar and kind of let it get a little bit rotten. Yes. And then you clean them off and then you dry them. Seeds should be completely dry before they go into storage. So, I I won't go into all the details of the different seeds starting uh, other than that tomato tidbit, but I'll let people research some of that stuff, or maybe it's a topic for another day. But mostly just make sure that you understand the process for that particular seed saving, and then that uh, the seeds are uh, completely dried before uh, they go into storage, which kind of leads into storage. So now that we understand what causes seeds to germinate
0: don't do that we for know, storage yeah, which is, situations yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: which is warmth yeah yeah, yeah it's really yeah it's a, it's a full it's once you start to think of it in this way it really becomes a full circle kind of thing you know they need warmth and they need moisture so we got to avoid warmth and moisture if you think about you know what causes them uh, to not germinate is the application of heat or moisture separately right and so if if for instance your seeds are stored in an inconsistent temperature like a garage or a shed or some people use little plastic bins and then they've got all their seed packets in there and maybe that's okay in the, in the closet. Right. Or maybe that's okay under the bed because temperatures are relatively mm-hmm. consistent. Unless you got a pier and beam house, it could get pretty cold yeah. and then it gets pretty warm. And so seeds, you, you and I probably have a concept of what warm is, but seeds don't warm to a seed just means warmer than five minutes ago.
0: Oh, okay.
1: All right. Okay. If you think about yeah. it. So if it's, if it's, 65 degrees and suddenly it's 80 degrees for whatever reason Yeah, that seed that may trigger that seeds process to go hey it's time to time to grow yeah and then it's in a seed packet but there's no water and that seed dies in that seed packet and then you've got a seed packet with like three viable seeds mm, by the time you okay.
0: use it yeah
1: yep. right because we don't want to create that trigger event it's the same reason i don't take seeds out to the garden like we've talked a lot about seed trigs and Growing inside, there's a lot of stuff that gets direct So sown. A green bean grows fantastically by itself. Put it in the soil, yep. poof, you get green beans. And there's quite a few things that are that direct so well. I prefer to do anything in a tray that I can do in a tray, which is almost everything if I'm avoiding transplant shock. But if if I'm if I'm planting outside, I'm never taking my seed packet out there. You know, yes. and the tendency is to take your yes. green beans yeah, take and the everyone thing. has done this yeah. with green beans. Yeah. You take the whole pack yeah. and you pour them into your hand and then you set it down, probably on top of the soil yeah. that you just watered. And
0: then you accidentally spray it. <laughs> and
1: the sun yes. is beating down <laughs> okay, on it. Yeah. <laughs> the packet gets hot. Yep. And it gets wet. And then you're like, oh, it's a little moist. But I'll just it's put fine. it back in the tray, yep. in the rack. You know? I have, and it's I have literally never done wet. That. I don't know why. I've Those seeds are toast. Out. I've done it a hundred <laughs> no, times. I
0: do it, I do it every yeah, year. Every year. Yeah.
1: Were, yep. were you there? <laughs> <I> know, <laughs> were you yes. there when I did that? Yeah, I have done that too. And I did. No, you, don't, you don't think about it until somebody tells you. Yeah. So yeah, you basically want to avoid all heat fluctuations and all moisture fluctuations. A great way to do this on a small scale is to take like a Ziploc bag, tape it to the back of your refrigerator, put your seeds in paper seed packets and drop a couple silica gel packets in there.
0: Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep.
1: I have an outdoor fridge and that's where we keep our seeds year round. So the only fluctuation in temperature is when somebody opens the refrigerator door and it's not enough yes. to, to cause. And so you, you might keep seeds viable five, six, seven years. It's a reason why they keep seeds in the you know the, the world seed yep. vault is in, you know, in the Arctic or whatever. So, there's no fluctuation in temperature. Okay. So, you can kind of mimic that same thing. Yeah. So, avoid all the things that make seeds germinate and, and maybe overthink it a little bit if you're trying to do some seed storage. Like, be pretty fastidious about not letting temperature or moisture get to those seeds.
0: Because yeah. it's so annoying so when, you're when, I'm, ready, when, I'm, when you're ready to plant and then you're like, oh, I had, you know, 10% germination rate. I don't know why. You know, yeah, so like, if right. you can avoid that, why not?
1: You planted 12 and you got three yeah. and they're never in the right spot never. either. And nope. now you've got unused space in the garden and you, And you got to start over and and now you're back to that. I lost two weeks on on my green beans because bad, bad germination, rate. You know, I think that's, I think that's about it. We've got some exciting things coming up here. Like I mentioned the victory garden. So we've just laid out a giant 27 by 15 in ground victory garden plot. And we're actually going to be going through the process of, of what a victory garden would have looked like. And so that's going to be kind of fun if you want to follow along. And all that starts with seed starting and for I, I think a great thing, especially for folks that are up north, this is going to come out, and we're going to be shortly after that. If if you if this came out at, around December, it is really kind of time to start thinking about seeding. We we'll, we we will be seeding pretty much immediately after. So we're going to go right into our deep dyed seeding seeding process on Instagram and and YouTube, where people can actually kind of see some of these concepts that we talked about yes. in practice. Yes, and the way that we do it at our house. And so they're they're they can kind of follow what we do and hopefully have similar success at whatever whatever level they can do whether it's a single plot or a bucket on the on the back porch whatever it is you know yes we can do it together it's going to be fun
0: i love it this may be the most thorough interview i've ever done <laughs> You are oh, a rock star. I, mean, like, I this hope,
1: is, I, I hope I it doesn't it. get too long. No, I don't You know, I don't uh, know who <laughs> wants to watch an hour and a half movie of me blabbing about There's somebody there's out some, there, No, though. they will
0: watch it. I know my people. They will They will listen and they will watch. But I mean, I just yeah. love getting past, like we all know that, like, well not we all, but a lot of people have the basic info already, you know, the standard and I love getting into that deeper stuff that you're not hearing everywhere. I love the little tweaks you can make. So this has been fantastic. I think I said the name of your company. Yeah, it's,
1: it's a great format.
0: I, I said the name of your company incorrectly at the beginning. It's all about the garden not all about gardening yeah so all about just the garden fyi guys
1: yeah, about the garden.com. all about
0: the garden.com and it's the same name on youtube and instagram
1: yeah youtube it's it's small so you have to put the little at sign so you have okay. to go at all about the garden okay to find it and then on on Instagram it's at all about the garden picks. Okay. Because somebody has all about the garden. No, it's so
0: competitive on the name. They won't it's <laughs> so I annoying. Keep,
1: I keep asking them like, can can I have the name yeah. please? And they won't respond. No. <laughs> they probably think I'm crazy. Oh well, yeah. They probably right. think I'm crazy. Like, why is this guy trying to ask me for I've explained myself. Yes. And they just it's frustrating. It's like it's, it's rational. Funny. If you if, so someone, all about the if you're listening to this and
0: you own all about the garden Instagram talk to sean
1: <laughs> yeah it's just a personal it's just a grandma yeah. i mean it's just her and her friends yes, She's,
0: you know, yes. sean's a nice guy she got
1: there first yes yes <laughs> yeah she got there first <laughs> um i'll send yeah. her some plants or go. something or some seed yeah trays. I, i'm willing to borrow i
0: like so. it i i'd do it um so I'm just saying.
1: And then yeah. I, uh, I think we touched on it, but I'll definitely build that resource page for folks and get, you can provide a link to that resource page and we can go through some of these kind of hot topics.
0: That would be awesome. And
1: then that, that's also a great way for them to engage with us. While they're there, they can sign up or they can email us and we can answer questions here or there and kind of get them started.
0: Yes, and we're going to put that link in the show notes so you guys can click right over to that. I just want to say, like, Sean is not paying me to say this. The seed trays are really good, guys. Like, if you're... Like I've tried, I've tried the egg cartons, I've tried the toilet paper tubes, I've tried the homemade ones, I've tried soil blocks, I've tried the cheap greenhouse trays. Like these take the cake; they will last for a long, long time. I don't have to throw them away. I don't have to worry about it. And the like we were talking about, the end result is superior, so they're worth the investment. Go check them out; all different sizes. But yeah, I genuinely love the trays.
1: They're they're a total game changer. I'd say that when we, you know, we were already getting pretty good at gardening when we started to put in this really kind of formulaic repeatable process that it absolutely changed the way that yes. we're total success Makes it's, it's, yeah. it's a it's a really big deal yeah whatever it is you're just looking for consistency and then that way you can make small tweaks yep. and just get better and better at it
0: amen to that and all all areas of life i think and garden yeah absolutely
1: yeah. guard the good thing about gardening is there's like I'll, I'll never get to the end of it it's just there's always something else to to check out yeah so Maybe one day I could just garden full time. That's my dream. And
0: that, I think that's a if good I goal. can just
1: garden all day long. Yep. Yeah, that's where it's at. So <laughs> yes, like I said, I'm trying to be my grandpa. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> one day I'll get there. Hopefully I can get there before I'm actually a grandpa. But oh, that's the goal is just to garden all day long. Let's do it.
0: I think you're well on your way. So keep on trucking. I feel like it, I think you're, you're making good there, progress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so
1: yeah i'm getting there so
0: oh my goodness well sean thank you so much for your time and your expertise this was fantastic i can't wait for everyone to listen you know everybody again just go check out the resource page because this was a lot of info for a podcast this is a lot of information oh, a ton. Yeah. yeah so go he has he's gonna have it all put links in and all the stuff the materials and, and tools he talked about that'll all be there you can check out the trays and everything else they have to offer so yeah thanks again sean this was fantastic and y'all We'll talk to you on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure.